0: My name's Megan, for those that don't know me, I'm reading from Mark chapter 5, so please follow along on your devices, in your Bibles, or it'll be up behind me on the screen. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gesserines. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from his distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed sitting there Dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report it to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him and in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once Jesus realised in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. "'Daughter,' he said to her, "'your faith has saved you. "'Go in peace and be healed from your affliction.' While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, "'Your daughter is dead. "'Why bother the teacher anymore?' When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, "'Don't be afraid, only believe.'" He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kum, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Isaac. It's really great to be here with you all and with many people joining us online, I'm sure, today. Uh, Now, thank you for that reading. It was long, uh, lots going on. It's a pretty heavy kind of reading as well. Jesus is dealing with a lot of the brokenness in our world. Uh, So, I'm going to actually share a bit of a heavy story to start off with about a friend of mine. And it's a little period of time in her life, only a five week period. Uh, This friend of mine, I won't share with you her name or anything, she's not here from Sydney. Uh, but as a bit of context, she's a regular person, she, uh, she always wears rainbow kind of clothes, that's just kind of part of her personality, she loves singing, she's a great singer. Uh, what else? Oh, I've written a few other things there. One of my friends, that's all you need to know. <laughs> In a five-week period, though, she went through all of this sickness and suffering. She was somebody who had been diagnosed with a um, disease that had all of these many different symptoms in her life Um, i remember many uh, nights with some friends of hers as well just comforting her as she went through seizure after seizure and even though she had so much pain meds going through her body that didn't seem to help her and in this five-week period this is what she went through Uh, she was working at this wildlife center and she um, basically had her leg go through a board in the decking out the back Um, and as a result of that one little injury uh, it cut you know, a tendon, a couple of tendons in her leg, and then she got diverticulitis from that cut as well. And then she went to hospital a few times. Uh, She even dislocated her knee during that whole ordeal. Um, She even ended up getting blood clots in both of her lungs from that original injury as well. And then she went on blood thinners, which aggravated her pain from other illnesses that she already went through. And then last of all, uh, she went into surgery, this is only a few weeks after uh, that injury, to get her gallbladder out. There was just all of these many different uh, things that she went through. And I wonder if you've known somebody like that, or maybe in your life you've been through moments like that, just suffering after suffering, sickness after sickness. And it's insane. It's not right that somebody would go through that much from a simple kind of walk out on a deck, not expecting that that would change her life for that month. And she often found herself crying out to God, asking, God, do you care? Do you care that I'm in sickness, that I'm perishing here? And we all think that, right? We've all been through that kind of prayer. We've had times where we wonder if God is really there, if he really cares for us. Does he really care for those people who are suffering intensely? And that's the last question that the disciples have for Jesus. In chapter 4, See, Mark 4, verse 38, they call out to him when they're in this boat going through the storm. They say, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care? If you're asking it even now, you're welcome here with us. Uh, it's It's a good question to ask to wrestle with and there'll be no judgment here because we've all wrestled with that. We've all had those times where we wonder if God is really concerned for us. We think... That God, he's like anyone else. And we might even think a bit like how Jairus does. He just assumes, look, it's too late. I've missed the boat. Uh, God was go- uh, Jesus was going to help me, but it's too late now. Maybe you've thought that thought as well. You know, God's got a big universe to run. He's pretty busy. Does he really care about me? My pain? And this question, that came up even uh, early in the week at Christianity Explored. We had this open question to the group. And we said, what's the one question you would ask God if you knew he would answer you? And somebody just answered with one word. They said, why? And they expanded a bit. They said, why has my life turned out how it has? Why am I going through so much suffering right now? And their question is just like those first disciples in that rickety boat being thrown around by the waves. They just want to know why. And does God care? And it's really an existential question. Does God see us in his pain? Can he help us as we're perishing and as we go through sickness? And this text today, it's going to deal with this question, this kind of fallen way of approaching God, of saying, God, you don't care for us. You don't care that we're dying. This text is going to deal with that. And the content of this chapter, it's going to answer three key questions that have come up in chapter 4 because we were left with three big questions so the first question we've already seen is this one. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? But the second question is the one that Jesus poses to his disciples. And he tells them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So the faith question. And then the third question is the identity question. His disciples, they're in awe of Jesus and they say, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. So these are driving questions in Mark. Does he care? Should we trust him? Who is he? And that's what this part of God's word is trying to teach us about Jesus. And this part of God's word starts to to give us some answers to that existential question. And there's even some hints to the faith questions as as well. Uh, For example, verse 36, Jesus says, Don't be afraid, only believe. And even as we go on, we start to see a bit more about his identity. But probably later in Mark, we start to come to understand that even more Uh, we begin today by seeing how jesus deals with someone who's dealing with spiritual torment spiritual um, suffering in this world he drives out the demons and we open up in verse one and we hear that they've sailed to the other side of the lake the sea of galilee uh, here's, uh, I think there's a picture that might be coming up there of the lake. We'll see if it's working for us today. It's okay. There we go. There's the second picture there. So um, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's in Israel, um, kind of east. Uh, you've got the Mediterranean Sea. There was another picture. That's all right. The Sea of Galilee in, in Israel. Uh, and you might be able to just see what's written there is hippos. Uh, and there's even a little text box there the drowning of the swine so we're on the east side of the lake today that's where they've gone and it's significant because on this side it's a gentile area a non-jewish area and that's going to impact how jesus interacts in this narrative jesus he goes out to this outcast man and the man is so powerful and he's deeply disturbed he's cutting himself he's shrieking He would have been a terrifying person to go to, living in the caves along this lake. But this strong man, he submits to Jesus. Verse 6, it says that he ran to him, and the evil spirits within him, they beg Jesus. What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. They plead to God, don't torment us. And during this narrative, Some of the words that we hear about these spirits, some of them are like plural, like there's many spirits within this man. Some of them are singular. So, for example, uh, Jesus asked its name. And they say, My name is Legion. But then straight away they say, We are many. So, somehow there's this kind of spirit, but spirits within them. And at that time, Legion, it was this word, it actually meant 5,000 men in a Roman army. Roman soldiers. So we don't know the exact number, right? But we know that there's lots of spirits within this man. Later in the narrative, uh, they'll be thrown out into 2,000 pigs who kind of go down the mountain. So there's this huge number. He is severely disturbed. Uh, And no wonder the locals couldn't hold him back. They, They tried to chain him up and he would get out every time. What a fright it would have been to come across him. But in the presence of Jesus, the king of kings, he begs before him. See, these spirits, they know that Jesus is stronger and Jesus is able to deal with this spiritual attack. No matter what kind of being it is from the underworld, from the spiritual darkness. And notice in this passage, there's heaps of begging going on. Different people beg a number of times. So the demons beg him twice, that they wouldn't uh, be tormented by him, that they could stay in the region In verse 10, they try to kind of coerce Jesus and say, Look, oh, let us stay here. Come on, please. They try to bargain with him. And then the man, the demoniac, after he's been healed, he begs Jesus and he says, Jesus, let me stay with you. Let me stay with you. But then the people of the region, they say, they beg Jesus, Get out. Get out of our region. You're causing too much fuss. You've got too much power. And look, they would have lost a lot of money from those pigs. They probably just don't want Jesus impacting them financially as well. But this demoniac, he begs Jesus to stay with him. Now this narrative is another example. We've had a number already in in, uh, Mark of the kingdom of God breaking through into this world. God, he shows his unchallenged power over all of evil as the the demons are kind of ripped out of this man and thrown into the pigs, we see how nothing is more powerful than Jesus and how our heavenly home is this place that won't have any evil spiritual being part of it. But now many of us realize that we're in this world where evil spirits do exist, where sickness still exists, where death still exists. Now, we've got to deal with these topics of the underworld, of of the devil, of his um, evil spirits, because it pokes its head up constantly in the Bible. And it pokes its head up in media, doesn't it? In Netflix, in all kinds of shows, in our culture. And it also pokes its head up in the Christian world. Uh, Often there's all kinds of fascination that many Christians can have for the evil underworld. Sometimes it's been quite an unhealthy fascination. Uh, often in the, in the charismatic movements, in some um, charismatic churches, there's encouragements to engage with the evil world more than, more than Scripture ever encourages us to do. And sometimes that, that can breed a bit of a fear for these evil spirits. But Jesus, he's come to, to show us that we are totally protected in him and to drive out that fear. So that's wrong. Now as we look at this part of God's word... I hope we can see that Christianity, it's more than, and it's not just talking about, morality. Christianity isn't morality. We've got demons here, we've got possessions, we've got uh, all kinds of spiritual things going on here. We're not naturalists. We're not people who just believe in what they can see and feel and touch. Uh, Naturalists are people who would say, oh, look, there's nothing more than what we can see or feel or touch. The spiritual world is just all hokey-pokey. See, for all of time, humanity, people have believed that there is a spiritual world. But then, in history, we've sort of become scientific and empirical, and we've kind of decided, oh, no, we don't believe in that anymore. And some of the experts have told us that we don't need to believe in that stuff anymore. And many of us might believe that, at least when the lights are turned on. But Peter Bolt, he's someone who's written a lot on this topic and really helpful kind of person to engage with He says this, he says that now that we've arrived in this postmodern world, it seems that many of us aren't too sure anymore. What makes the experts think that they know? How can anyone know? What if the spiritual world does exist? And I mean, you just need to look at many other countries around the world where Satan is very active in this kind of way that we read in this part of God's Word. See, our experience here in the West, for many of us, uh, it isn't necessarily normative. See, Satan is very active around our world. And he might just be working in a different way in our lives. Maybe not so much through those demon possessions, but through other schemes of convincing people that they don't need God, that their sin doesn't matter, that you know God isn't even real, or that he's not real. Uh, Charles... Uh, Baudelaire, he's a guy who's famously said this. You probably have heard it before. Uh, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And it's true, right? See, Satan is working constantly around the clock in our world and in our country as well. But we have hope in this dark world. As those who follow Jesus, we're able to stand against so many dark and evil spiritual foes. He is victorious, and we are victorious with him. But how? Well, first and foremost, we have the Spirit of God in us, dwelling in us. There's no space for other evil spirits to come in. We have that amazing protection of God with us. And God equips us to fight this battle. In Ephesians, you can read about how we're to put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Or Romans 8.37. We're taught that as Christians, we're more than conquerors. And it's true in Jesus. We can be sure that he'll he'll do more than throw these um, spirits into the Sea of Galilee through these pigs. He'll throw them into hell, into punishment. Now, just as the kingdom broke through on this side of the lake, we will enjoy the perfect kingdom of heaven if we have faith in Jesus now. We'll enjoy a world that has no spiritual dark influences, no demon possession. And as we think about the underworld today, we might have realized that we never quite pay that much attention to it. Maybe we're someone who just it never even crosses our mind. Or you could be on the other side of things. It's something that really fascinates you and you kind of seek that content out to an unhealthy degree. The movies and series about the dark underworld are really easy to find these days, and books and all kinds of things on the internet. Maybe you're someone who's had a bit of experience with the occult. Even the other day I heard a comedian, they just casually kind of mentioned their experience with tarot card readings and. Um, and and Ouija uh, Ouija board. Uh, And friends, do not go there. It is dangerous, and we're never never encouraged in Scripture to seek that stuff out. Do not play around with it. So might we not fixate on this dark underworld, but also might we not forget that it does really exist? Uh, In the West, we can often just make a lot of jokes, kind of pretending that it's not really there. But the evil underworld is real, and yet it's kind of in the margins of the Bible. Front and centre, the gospel of Jesus. But we need to understand this world to understand this gospel, I think, as well. We ought to remain focused on the gospel of Jesus, not on some of these background sort of themes. And I kind of noticed this idea as I watched a TV show, how I was just really focused on the background of what was happening in this TV show. I kind of missed the plot entirely. Uh, It's this show called The Letdown. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, It is on Netflix. Um, Hopefully the picture will come up there. That's all right if it doesn't. Uh, It's set in the inner west. So in this part of um, Sydney where I used to live. So I was just picking out all of these things in the background I was familiar with. Uh, There were pictures of a pub that me and my friend would often go to, Or King Street, where I was living, a bunch of kind of background images of that. Even the cafe that we went to that was just over the road was in this uh, show, which was kind of cool just to to watch. But I just found myself constantly missing what was going on in the storyline because I was so fascinated with the background. And I think that's a bit like what some people can do with this whole underworld. They can get so fascinated and fixated on that and miss the main deal, the gospel of Jesus, the conqueror over all of that world. But what about our biggest foe in life? What about death? What does Jesus have to say about death? Well, we probably know. We've read the Bible already this morning. He deals with it. He brings this little girl back to life. In verse 21, it tells us that Jesus and his followers, they, they jump back into the boat. They head to the other side of the boat. So they are now going to this Jewish area. So it's actually on the west Or possibly the north of the lake there. So they're going to this Jewish area. And why does that really matter? Because you'll you'll notice throughout Mark, a lot of times it tells us all these journeys they make over the lake. Well, it's trying to show us the expansive ministry of Jesus. He has come for all people, Jews and Gentiles. And you notice in the last story about the demoniac, Jesus says, go, tell everyone, tell your family, go and report it. Because in a Gentile area, it doesn't matter if people hear about Jesus. They're not his threat. He knows that the Jews are his threat. So we'll find in this next story, he doesn't tell the girl and his, his, um, her uh, father to go and tell everybody. He's far more secretive about it because of the threat the Jews have towards him. Now remember, this part of God's word, it's answering those three questions. And so far, he's already shown that he does care for us in our spiritual torment, if we're going through that. And now we see that he cares for Jairus, the synagogue leader. Now he's totally different to the demoniac in a lot of, different, a lot of ways. He's a leader, he's powerful in a different kind of way. See, Jesus, he deals with everybody. He doesn't deal and interact with people from a sense of prejudice or just for a certain type of person. But he cares for Jairus and his daughter as well. But as he goes to help this guy, this terminally ill daughter of his, he's interrupted along the way. At verse 25, there's this woman who unknowingly interrupts the whole scenario. She's a woman of severe suffering and she's permanently unclean. She couldn't have entered into the temple because of her um, constant bleeding that she was going through. She's suffering in multiple ways. Like first the disease itself, but then that social exclusion that she's going through. And then there's all this failed treatment. She's gone to doctor after doctor, and now she's financially bankrupt. After all of her attempts to get well, her disease, it's progressed. It's gotten worse and she's bankrupt. You can imagine that kind of frustration. But even more, in a society which viewed this kind of disease as making them unclean, she couldn't have interacted with people easily day to day. So she's desperate and she just holds on to Jesus' clothes, wondering if that would be enough for her to be healed. I think many of us can think of a person a bit like this who's just gone through suffering after suffering, trial after trial. And like the story of my friend who'd been through intense suffering, even while she was a very young person. But this suffering woman, she recognises a glimmer of hope in Jesus. This man who's come and he's done this many times before, healed many before. And it's fascinating how she doesn't want the limelight. She doesn't want the fanfare. She just reaches out. And no doubt, to her surprise, the the bleeding, it stops immediately. And that's a word that will come up throughout Mark, immediately. It goes from one thing to the next. It's like one of Mark's top five words, I'm sure. And it, it reveals this insane pace of Jesus. He goes from one miracle to the next. Like he's midway through one miracle... Bam, he's healed somebody of this chronic disease. And in verse 31, the uh, the disciples of Jesus, they're totally perplexed by what's going on. They're confused. Because Jesus says, oh, who's touched me? And they go, what? You're in a crowd. A bunch of people have touched you. What are you doing? They're confused by him. And they're out of the loop of what's going on. But the woman's reaction, it's far more interesting. She, in fear and trembling, trusts in Jesus. And she, Jesus says that it was her faith that, that uh, healed her, her faith in Jesus, the healer. So somehow faith and fear in this scenario can coexist. This right kind of reverence for Jesus. And just as Jesus has helped this woman, someone comes and tells Jairus that it's too late, that his daughter has died. He missed the boat, the opportunity is gone, she's dead. And a lot of us can be a bit like Jairus, must have been in that moment. We can think God's love doesn't extend to us. His care is for others. He's a busy God and he doesn't really care for us in our suffering right now. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus' words here are so interesting. He tells Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. See, don't fear that your daughter has died, even though that's the report that you're hearing. He's rebuking this specific kind of fear, like, don't fear, I'll sort this situation out. So we've just had this narrative of a woman who came in fear and trembling before Jesus, yet who had faith in Jesus. And we compare it to Jairus, who had a different kind of fear, this fear that his daughter has actually died. And Jesus tells him to get rid of that kind of fear in this moment. And he, Jesus joins them along as they're grieving for this girl in the family home. In verse 39, we hear how Jesus had the nerve to ask this grieving family what was going on and why there was such commotion. He says, why? What's going on? Why are you so sad? And you can just imagine that happening today at a funeral and how he'd be cancelled straight away. He'd be thrown out of the funeral procession. But he goes even further and tells them that their girl hasn't died. She's just asleep. And the people, like you can imagine all kinds of reactions they might have, they kind of take the high road. They don't seek to punch him, but they kind of just laugh in his face. Like, oh, Come on, sure. She's just asleep. We've seen her. She's dead. It's like, Jesus, are you just adding insult to injury right now? What are you doing? But rather than arc up, they just laugh at his, uh, what he says. But then Jesus says, little girl, get up. And she raises from the dead. Such power in simply his words. There's nothing gradual or partial about it. It's immediate. She stands up and there's life to her body. Her legs start to carry her weight again. And Jesus, he, he extends his care. He says, look, go and get her some, some food to eat so she can be restored as she recovers. See, Jesus is willing and able to deal with our biggest enemy, which is death. He can do it. But clearly the full, the, the perfected kingdom of God hasn't come yet, right? We, we still have this fear of death because we will ultimately die. We still live in a world full of spiritual death and disease. And it's in these unique trials of demons, death and disease It's in these kinds of trials that our faith is really tested. We might be tested for how we think about God. And over time, I've met lots of people who, I don't think they've really changed their idea on the identity of God or the identity of Jesus, but the suffering in this world has just worn them down. They they stop trusting that God really cares that they are perishing. That's the question they've lost hope in. Suffering takes over. The taunts of Satan... Engulf them like this seed um, um, thrown amongst the thorns. And it's tragic. I have a family member who, who's gone through that kind of journey. And I think they still believe every word that Jesus says about himself. But it's that personal belief that God cares for them in their unique suffering. Their disappointment in humanity, their disappointment in the church, over time seem to be extended to their disappointment in God. And it's devastating. Like a lament for God, just coming up with this idea that God, he's sovereign, but he's uncaring. He's unable to help me in my need. And he doesn't really have a concern for me in my struggle. But notice today, the kind of heart Jesus has for the battlers in our world. The kind of heart he has for those of us suffering in all kinds of ways. He went to this guy living in caves who none of us would even approach. And he went graciously to him. He healed him through and through. And he gladly restored this woman who was going through chronic disease. He was willing and able to help this synagogue leader to bring his daughter back to life. See, friends, even death has nothing on us now. For all who trust in Jesus will live even though they die. And I'll leave us today with a promise to those who trust in Jesus, who have that faith. It's part of a letter of encouragement in the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, uh, to a particular church, the church in Philadelphia. It comes from Revelation 3.10 and it says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. Friends, let us hold fast in the midst of suffering, knowing that there is a salvation to come, where there will be no demons, death, or disease. I can't wait for that day. Let us pray and give God thanks for that hope. Please pray with me. Our dear Father, we're in such a broken world. And many of us might be really feeling that even today. Please fill us with a great comfort in you. Help us to not be so discouraged by suffering in this world that we start to lose hope in you and assume that you don't care. Lord, please work in our hearts. Help us to have a solid view of your identity and the identity of Jesus and a solid answer for that question if you really care. We thank you that you've shown your care to us in Jesus, that he has come and he's not just caring, but he's able to help us in all kinds of suffering in this world. Might we hold on to him all the days of our life. We thank you for the world to come, which we look forward to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.